And welcome to In Your Corner. You want to reach out? Simple. It's one 821 5900 Help at inyourcorner.ca. Don't miss the uh, global TV show In Your Corner as well, Sundays at 8.30 a.m. So, Van, week that was is how we start uh, every show. What's going on, pal? Hey, John. It's uh, great to be here. We have a ton of stuff to cover. So let's start off with an email I received this week from a gentleman uh, who had a car accident, but he's also on long-term disability. And so he wanted to know whether it's worthwhile to file a, a uh, compensation claim for the car accident injuries and how that would interact with his long-term disability claim. And he asked me to uh, read this email out loud on air and then answer it. So let's let's get going. Uh, he says, I recently had a very bad accident and I was at a red light and fully stopped. The other guy rear-ended my car. During the accident, I also had my wife and my son and we're all experiencing severe pain in the neck as well as back pains. I don't know what to do at this point, and I'm also getting long-term disability beyond the change of definition date. I have a mental illness. Um, would it be worth uh, to go for a claim through my auto insurance? And if so, how would that interact with my long-term disability claim? So very important question, and there's a lot to digest here. I'm sure James is going to chime in in a moment. So first of all, if you're in a car accident and it's not your fault, as is the case in, in, in this instance right. where you are re-rendered, clearly it was not his fault. Uh, he may have a claim for compensation for a variety of different uh, things. For example, uh, in Ontario, if, uh, if, if you're involved in a car accident and it's not your fault, you may have a claim for compensation for pain and suffering, for income loss. Uh, you can have a claim for uh, rehabilitation benefits, medical benefits. You're also entitled to some of these benefits from your own uh, insurance company. So he may have a double claim here, him, his wife, and his son. He may be able to claim, in fact, he will be able to claim what's called accident benefits from his own insurance company, and he may be able to make a claim, depending on the severity of his injuries going forward from this car accident, against the person who actually hit him. But he wants to know, is it even worth it because he's on long-term disability? Now, he mentioned that he's on LTD beyond the change of definition date, and what that means is that he's probably getting LTD now more than two years for his illness. That means that the long-term disability insurance company that is paying him uh, has accepted the fact that he is unable to uh, do any occupation for which he's suited for by training, education, or experience. Yeah. So then the question he has, obviously, is, well, if I'm getting benefits from my auto insurance company, is that going to affect my LTD benefits I'm getting paid? And the answer is no. The long-term disability insurance company is not entitled to a credit for what you're getting from the uh, car accident claim. But here's the thing, and we have claims like this in the office. In fact, I have a mediation coming up in September where I'm going, uh, I'm representing an individual that has uh, an accident claim uh, with his own insurance company, with the insurance company of the person who hit him, and with his long-term disability insurance company. So we're going to be in the room with three insurance companies, all of who have to pay my clients something to resolve the claim. So it's very important to understand that if you are on long-term disability and you've been injured in a car accident, you may be entitled to certain benefits and certain compensation not payable by your long-term uh, uh, long disability insurer. Remember, your long-term disability is for your income loss. Uh, uh, sorry, for income replacement, that you can't work, you're getting a percentage of your right. income through the insurer. But if you are going through a claims process with respect to a car accident, you may be, may be entitled to other benefits like pain and suffering, uh, out-of-pocket expenses, things like that. So you have a variety of categories of compensation that you could potentially get from the car accident insurance companies that you're not going to get from your long-term disability insurer. I, I totally agree. I think the real big issue here is making sure that there's enough money for treatment. 
And that's something that you get immediately from your own insurer through the accident benefits. And it's also something that you could claim in a lawsuit against the driver who was at fault. Uh, another area where you would be able to claim, in fact, both this gentleman, his wife, and his son would be able to claim for what are called Family Law Act benefits. And I won't go into a lot of detail, but essentially what it means is because each of them were injured as a result of somebody else's negligence, they are each entitled to compensation for the way that the injuries affect their relationship with each other. Um, it's That's not necessarily going to be the most significant part of the claim, but it is an area that you can pursue. And really simply put, um, given the severity of the injuries he's describing, certainly he's going to want to make sure that his wife and his son bring a claim. And if you're already doing that, it makes sense to include one for himself as well. So there's no reason not to pursue it in these circumstances. You're not going to be able to double, double recover for uh, lost income if you're already getting it through LTD. But your long-term disability benefits are only payable for as long as you can't do any occupation you're qualified for by training, education, or experience. But that you may reach that point at some point, say, three, four years down the road. But because of the injuries in the accident, you still may not be able to return to the job that you had been doing. And there would be a gap between what you were making and what you'll be able to make in the future. So the person that caused that injury in, in the car accident would be responsible for making that up. So even though you might not be able to get any income for what you're losing or any benefits for what you're losing right now, there would be money payable for future loss of income potentially. Two more points to make here, John. Mm -hmm. Remember, he said that he's on LTD because of a mental illness. Right. Uh, the injuries he suffered in this car accident are physical injuries, so you don't necessarily have a complete overlap in terms of what's affecting him now. Now, I'm sure that the fact that he's injured physically is now impacting his psychological state, but the point is that his claim uh, for pain and suffering and other types of damages uh, for, for the car accident itself, that may lead to other types of benefits as well, other types of categories of compensation. The last point I wanna make is that we also have people who contact us who are, uh, who've had a car accident, and then they ask us, should we apply for long-term disability? In other words, the exact reverse of what you're seeing yeah. here. And the answer is yes. Yeah. If you're able to access some kind of a disability plan, even though you're getting income replacement benefits from your insurance company through, through you know, car insurance, you should absolutely apply. And the reason is because, uh, first of all, you have an obligation to try and get as, as many benefits as you can. There is an interplay between the various insurance schemes uh, and insurance companies will tell you, you know, you have to apply to this because if you don't, we're gonna estimate how much you're supposed to get and therefore we're gonna reduce your payments right. by that amount. The point is this, the more insurance companies you are engaging, and remember, you're entitled to get those benefits. You're applying for benefits that you've paid for, you've paid premiums for. The more of those you're entitled to get, the more of those you activate, the more of those we can deal with to maximize the compensation that you're going to get at the end of the day. Lots more to go here, guys. Stick around. Uh, we'll get to it to contact one 821 5900 It is help at inyourcorner.ca through email as well. This is In Your Corner, Global News Radio. And welcome back. In Your Corner to reach out. So, by the way, the show on Global TV happens on Sundays at 8.30 a.m. In Your Corner. one 821 5900 Help at inyourcorner.ca to reach out through email. Week that was. Got a few more issues to talk about, guys. And we get into some uh, some topics and some emails in a little, uh, little bit here. James, you got something to talk about first, though. Sure. Okay, yeah. every show that we do, every radio show, every TV show, there's one topic that always comes up. What is it, John? That would be appeals. Indeed, yeah. appeals. Every show we say, do not appeal. Usually, the reason that we're saying that is because, number one, 
they never changed their their uh, decision, and so you're in the same position you were. And number two, you've wasted some time, right. and you risk missing the limitation period to bring a legal claim. And that's certainly good advice, and we will tell you that every single show from here on out as well. But there's another reason not to appeal, and it's something that came to light with the lady I was dealing with who had a potential claim that unfortunately we're not going to be able to help her with. So here's what happened. She was denied her long-term disability benefits when she went on leave because of uh, mental health issues, depression, and anxiety. And there were notes in her doctor's records that suggested that it was at least in part related to her situation at work. And so I want to make sure that our listeners really understand what the issue is here. If you have a disability, but it is really only specific to your own workplace, not your occupation, but your actual job. So it's something in the environment of your actual job. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's your relationship with your boss or your coworkers or whatever it is. But if you could do that same job with a different employer, then you wouldn't meet the definition of disability under virtually any LTD policy. Gotcha. That's just the way that they're written, and mm -hmm. that's the way that it is. And so if your disability is specific to your workplace, no benefits. It wasn't so clear from her doctor's notes and records that this was the case. It was clear that there was something in her environment that was perhaps triggering it, but it may well have been that it was generalized so that she was going to have these issues all over the place as well, too. It just wasn't clear. But they denied her benefits as they typically do. And so she went ahead and appealed. And in doing so, she was invited to provide any additional information. And what she did is she wrote out this very long, very thoughtful letter about her situation. And in doing that, she acknowledged that, in fact, she probably could go work somewhere else, but she would lose her seniority and it would make her childcare situation very difficult. And I feel for her because she's genuinely suffering. She's got a very difficult situation, yep. but she has now just crystallized yeah. in black and white that she does not have a claim that meets the definition of disability under the policy. And that's very unfortunate for her, but I can't say that the insurer is incorrect. They are, you know, in writing what she did, she has just shown them that she is not going to be entitled to those benefits. And we, as much as I would love to help her, I can't. I can't do it. There's nothing I'm going to be able to help her with. And so she's out of luck, unfortunately. And so this is yet another reason not to appeal because you're not going to get anywhere and you're really risking putting yourself in a worse situation when you do want to challenge it. Had she come to us before, we might have been able to help her now if the reality is that she really could go work somewhere else. And she may be wrong about that, by the way. But having put that having put that opinion of hers on paper, there's little I can do about right. it. Had she come to us first, we might have been able to help her. So I, I think the lesson here is uh, what you say to the insurance company will be used against you. So be very careful. I think that's really the, uh, you know, the, the, the bottom line. But I do want to mention something because James says we can't help her. We can't help her from the LTD perspective. Right. But remember, if you are experiencing a poisonous work environment, you may have a claim for constructive dismissal, right? That's yep. something that you and Lior talk about a lot on the Employment Hour. Uh, and, and you know, it's very important to understand that if you have a claim for constructive dismissal, we can help you with that. We have employment lawyers at the office that deal exactly with those situations. And why that's important to come to us if you're having an issue like that. And if, in fact, you are trying to apply for LTD, because, and especially if you are on LTD, because if you receive any severance from your employer for your constructive dismissal case, again, to the extent that you're entitled to any LTD payments, 
you want to make sure that the LTD insurer doesn't grab that amount mm -hmm. from you. So very important to understand, we may not be able to help you on the LTD front with the case here, but we may be able to help you on the employment side. And of course, I explained this to her, but unfortunately, we can't help her on the employment side either because she's a unionized employee. I see. So right. this is one Fair situation enough. where there really is nothing that we could do That's to help her. Yeah. Uh, but to be very clear and not confuse things even further, unionized employees, while we may not be able to help them from an employment standpoint, we often can help from LTD, just right. not in this particular case. It's amazing. You mentioned this, the simplest and nuance of language can really uh, work it against you. you. I mean, if, if I were to phone yeah. you or you to phone me and I said, how are you feeling today? Oh, I'm good. I'm great. Say that to your adjuster. Well, that, that's that's the thing, and you know we're trying to tell people this. I mean, you have to be careful. You're oh. dealing with with adjusters. That's their job. Their job is to you know make sure that the insurance company, their employer, their master is making money. And the way they do that is to try and figure out if there's anything you're saying or doing that can help them either deny your claim or cut off your benefits. You have to be very very careful. And this is a prime example of how this lady who. Again, through no fault of her own, is, not, is now yeah, and it's okay. I mean, listen, we tell people to be honest, absolutely, but you have to be careful in how you characterize things right. because sometimes you say something, you're being honest, but it's construed in a different way, in a way that hurts you. So you have to be, you know, have to make sure that you get the proper legal advice when you're engaging these insurance companies. MyDisabilityQuestions.com is another way for you to uh, reach out, ask your questions. There's tons that have been asked and answered over time. If yours is not there from the drop-down menu, you can leave one there as well. Savan will get to that. Phone call 1-855-821-5900 and email is help at inyourcorner.ca. Lots more of In Your Corner is on the way on Global News Radio. And welcome back to In Your Corner. Reaching out is real simple. 1-855-821-5900. Help at inyourcorner.ca. And Sunday mornings at 8.30, you will catch the televised version of In Your Corner. That happens on uh, Global TV. Before we move on to our topics and emails for the day, uh, Savannah, you got something else to talk about? Yeah, one sure. last thing, John. Mm -hmm. I had a lady uh, in her early 50s contact me, and she's suffering from uh, impaired cognition, difficulty processing, and remembering stuff. So essentially, uh, she's having memory types of issues. We're not sure why, and even the doctors that are treating her, the neurologists, are not sure what the issue is. And the insurance company keeps asking for a diagnosis, and now they've cut her off. So they initially approved her for long-term disability, but because they're unable to get a diagnosis, you know, some kind of a title for what it is that she's experiencing, they said, you're no longer qualified. And I've had a case like this years ago. Uh, w w again, you had a lady that started having cognitive issues. She was seen by a, a ton of neurologists across the province. She underwent MRIs and a whole bunch of, of brain scans. No one could figure out what was wrong with her. They just knew that something was wrong with her. Nobody took issue with the fact that she was experiencing this disability, and she ended up even moving with her mother because she wasn't able to take care of himself, uh, uh, herself. Uh, and, 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 and you know, at the end, the insurance company said, because we have no diagnosis, we're not going to pay you a dime. You don't qualify for LTD. And I looked at the policy when she came to me, when her mother actually contacted me, uh, and there was nowhere in the policy did it say that to qualify for LTD, they had to have a diagnosis. The policy simply required that she would be, quote unquote, totally disabled from doing her job, which every doctor that saw her agreed that she was because of her cognitive issues. And again, we start a legal claim, no appeals here. We went to a mediation, I think within about six months, and the settlement we arrived at was, you know, close to the mid six figures. It was a very large settlement, and it was because the insurance company understood, and she was making a lot of money, she was in right. the IT sector. The insurance company understood that they had no leg to stand on. If we ever went to court on this, they would lose. So if you are denied 
LTD or if you're cut off LTD because your insurance company says there is no diagnosis, so they're not taking issue necessarily with you being disabled. They're just taking issue with the fact that there's no diagnosis, there's no title, there's no label to what's causing your disability. They're not allowed to do that unless the policy specifically allows them to do so. And I have not seen in all my years of practice a policy that says that to qualify for LTD, you must have a label. And, and, you know, that's absolutely true. And I want to make sure that our listeners really understand why that's the case. The, you know, having a label for something, having, you know, a name for a particular array of symptoms is something that medical science improves on as time goes on. And so if you were to look 10, 15 years ago, there are many things that we're able to diagnose now that we couldn't back then. But that didn't mean that if you had it 15 years ago, you weren't suffering just as much as you are today. Just That's right. We didn't have a name for it. And that happens as time goes on. But that doesn't mean that your disability is any less real. And that is what disability benefits are for. It's for the inability to function in certain ways. And if that is there, whether you have a name for it or not, you're entitled to benefits. And by the way, that's not a matter of opinion. That is what the Supreme Court of Canada has said in black and white, in no uncertain terms. It is not about your disability. It is about your symptoms. And so if you are genuinely suffering, but the doctors cannot figure out the reason why, you are still entitled to disability benefits, full stop. 1-855-821-5900, one 821 5900 the number to reach out, help at inyourcorner.ca. You know, that one uh, dovetails nicely, guys, into what you wanted to talk about today, and that is uh, your LTD insurer arranged for you to have an assessment with one of their doctors. These are three things you should do before this assessment, right? Yeah, so this is very common, John. We see a lot of people contacting us because they're afraid, they're concerned. Yep. They're being treated for their disability by their psychiatrist or their uh, chronic pain specialist or family doctor, and here suddenly their insurance company that's paying them LTD says, we want you to be seen by one of our doctors. Well, whenever an insurance company tells you that, to me at least, based on my experience, it tells me that they're gearing up to try and figure out how to cut you off. What they're doing is they're trying to see if their doctor, the person that they are paying to see you, will write a report that says that you can go back to work or that you're not as disabled as you say you are, despite whatever your doctors are saying. So what should you do ahead of time? Well, number one, you should quiz your adjuster and ask them, what kind of a doctor is this? Because oftentimes they will not send you to the correct specialist. You know, you can be suffering from a mental illness and they'll send you to uh, a family doctor that has right. no expertise in, in you know, uh, uh, mental, mental health, health and not a psychologist, not a psychiatrist. So you want to know who you are being sent to and frankly, Google that person. Figure out who that person is. What kind of a reputation do they have? I mean, it's going to give you more comfort to know a little bit more about that doctor. So that's the first thing that I would urge you to do is get the name from your adjuster of this doctor. I mean, they'll give it to you. They'll give you the address. But look them up and maybe even talk to your own doctors about who this person is. Do they know that doctor? Many of these doctors who work for insurance companies have a certain reputation in the field. I'm not saying that they're not good at what they do, but... They do work with insurance companies, and many of them only work with insurance companies. So you want to be prepared ahead of time to figure out who it is that you're going to go see. I would actually add a couple things to that as well, too. One thing that you can do is before going to the assessment, create a list of all of the symptoms and issues that you're having and bring it with you to make sure that while you are in the assessment, you have an opportunity to raise each and every one of them so that there is no way that the assessing doctor can dispute later on that you brought it up. The other thing that I would do is I would, you know, I wouldn't make a show of this, but I would try and keep track of the exact amount of time 
that you spend with the doctor doing the assessment. So, you know, before the doctor comes in to see you, just make a note of what time it is. And when they leave the room, make a note of the time as well. You don't want to, you know, be in in their face about it, be like, oh, that was just 12 minutes. Don't do that. Just make a quiet note about it in your own records and tabulate that at the end so you have a record of exactly how much time they've spent with you. Because more often than not, that, that assessing doctor's opinion Let's say they spend maybe 35, 40 minutes with you, which mm-hmm. is probably generous. That's going to be compared with your treating doctor who over the course of several years has probably spent you know, tens, maybe 20, 20 30 hours with you over the course of um, their treatment with you over you know, what five or 10 years, however long it is. And so obviously when you compare the amount of time a treating doctor has right. spent versus you know the 30 or 40 minutes of the assessing doctor, there isn't really much comparison there. So the... Uh, you know, any court that we're looking at it down the road is obviously going to prefer the opinion of the treating doctor. Coming up, the uh, top two things you should do before your LTD insurer sends you to see one of their doctors for the assessment. That is on the way. Stick around for one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. The email and emails to follow that email or phone call rather email address to follow help at inyourcorner.ca. This is In Your Corner on Global News Radio. Welcome back to In Your Corner. Reaching out, simple one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. Help at inyourcorner.ca and and Global TV show in your corner happens Sunday mornings at 8.30. So your LTD insurer is sending you to see one of their doctors for an assessment. The three things you should do before the assessment. First one was find out what doctor you're scheduled to see. Number two, Savannah, leave this one to you. Says confirm with your adjuster in writing that you will get a copy of the report or opinion this doctor provides the insurance company after the assessment. That's right. So here's what happens often. Uh, you're being treated by your doctors. At some point throughout the process, your adjuster tells you they want you to be seen by one of their doctors. That's fine. You go and see one of their doctors, and then the adjuster contacts you saying, oh, this doctor thinks that you can go back to work, or you're not as disabled as you think you are, or as you say you are. Uh, And you're in shock, because that's contrary to what you know to be the reality, and it's contrary to what your own doctors are saying, which is that you are disabled. Well, make sure you tell the adjuster that you want a copy of that doctor's report, that doctor that they sent you to. Because guess what? I can almost guarantee you, I say almost because, you know, you you do have exceptions, but in almost every instance where one of my clients has gotten a copy of that report, they were able to find a ton of factual errors. So for example, they would tell me, you know, I made a list of 20 things that this doctor says I told them during the assessment, which are incorrect. I didn't say those <laughs> things. Or, you know, here's another 30 things that when they recounted my medical history, they got wrong. So, you know, by, by looking at uh, the assessor's report, the insurance assessor's report, and by, by creating this list of inaccuracies and things that are false, we can undermine that report. We can undermine the insurance company's position. It's a very, very powerful thing. And many, in many instances, the adjuster will not want to give you the report. And, you know, if they cut you off and you don't have that report, if we start a legal claim, they have to give us that report. If, however, they cut you off because of that assessment and you try to appeal the decision yourself, there's no legal claim, they have no legal obligation to wow, give you a copy okay. of that report. So that's another benefit of starting a legal claim. We They are forced by law to give us all of their documents, including that doctor's report. So if you ask, they don't have to do it, but once you rattle their cage, they got to Once we start up. a legal okay. claim, they are bound by cool. what's called the rules of civil procedure. They have to give us everything they have. Nice. You know, as much of an issue as it is for the assessing doctor to have factual inaccuracies in the report, I actually it's my experience that... The way that it's um, more improper is that the adjuster getting the report 
is going to cherry pick information and only reveal the information that it's helpful to the insurer right. and not disclose anything that would be helpful to the insured. And, you know, I, there's a perfect example in a case that I have um, this week where the assessing doctor, it's going to mediation this week, the assessing doctor had said that if the current treatment uh, doesn't show improvement, then perhaps cognitive behavioral therapy might be recommended down the road. And what was reported to the client was that, oh, well, the assessing doctor says you have to start cognitive behavioral therapy, which meant interrupting her present uh, therapy with her present therapist as well, right. too. And also, not reported to my client was the fact that this uh, assessing doctor had agreed that she had significant uh, disabilities, anxiety and depression on, on a significant level, that she had a guarded prognosis and may never improve, and that she would have significant functional limitations, including difficulty with all social interactions going forward. None of that was revealed to the insured, just that she needs to have cognitive behavioral therapy, which, by the way, wasn't even what the doctor had said. So might have to. Right. To have to. Wow. Number three, uh, the uh, third thing you should do uh, if your LTD insurer is sending you for an assessment, that is ask your treating doctors to confirm your disability and specifically why your illness or injury is preventing you from working. So that's a tip that we always give to people, whether or not you're going to go see an assessor <laughs> or whether or not you're going to uh, you know, simply have a, a, a discussion about your condition with your adjuster, uh, as well as to give the insurance company updates. You want to make sure that your doctors are on side, especially in a situation like this, where they are sending you to what's called an independent assessment. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the word independent Quotations. is in quotes. Yeah. Uh, you want to make sure that, again, as you're going into that assessment, approximately the same time period, your own doctors confirm your disability and exactly why your illness or injury, or both, are preventing you from working. And, and you know, the reason that I say this is important is because it's contemporaneous or almost contemporaneous with whatever opinion is going to be generated by that assessor. So imagine if you have three people treating you and have been treating you for the last few years. All three, let's say, say that you are disabled from working because of whatever reason. Then you go see the insurance assessor for, as James put it, 30 minutes. Uh, And that person says you're not disabled. Well, just think about that. Around the same time frame, within the same month, you have three opinions from people who are treating you, who know you really well, saying you can't work. And here you have on the other side, somebody is getting paid by the insurance company saying you can work. Who do you think at the end of the day a court will believe. Well, actually, you know what? That's usually not the situation. It's my experience far more often than not when the insurance company hires a doctor, they will specifically avoid asking the particular question whether or not the person can return to work. They will ask things around that question, but they don't want the doctor to specifically address that because they know if the doctor addresses it and says they can't go back to work, they've got no basis to stand to, to reject your claim at all. And so what they'll do is they'll ask everything but that, and then they'll cherry pick the information that supports what they've already decided to do to cut off your claim. And so if you do get your own treating doctors to write this, that you cannot go back to work, more often than not, that's actually going to stand alone. That there's going to be nothing that says that you can, and you're going to have your own treating doctor saying that you can't. Does the length of time you mentioned, James, you know, he sees you for 12 minutes. I mean, the, the, the less time that doctor sees you, the less credence it has in your in your. Sure. I, I mean, really, it's more putting emphasis on a point because right. an, an assessing doctor, and this isn't their fault, they're just at a disadvantage. Yep. They're seeing you one, maybe two times if they're being really thorough over a couple of days. And if they're doing it over a couple of days, I applaud them. Most, most will not. Most will not have that kind of follow-up. The vast majority are less than an hour, sometimes significantly less than an hour. But whatever it is, whether it's 15 minutes, half an hour, even two hours, 
it's still going to be way less than the treating doctor. And by the way, in many instances, they don't even see you, right? The insurance company will do what's called a paper review. They'll simply call you one day and say, we've had one of our consultants, sometimes they're not even doctors, review your file, not even assess you, but review the documents. And they've concluded from just reviewing the documents that, you know, your disability is not as bad as you say it is. Again, that really stands in contrast with your own treating practitioners. Right. So again, remember, you have options. That's the, po- that's the bottom line here. Don't take what the insurance company says at face value. If you are being denied or cut off long-term disability because one of their doctors, one of their assessors says you're not uh, disabled enough or you don't qualify, and your doctors say that you do and you know you're disabled, fight back. Or better yet, contact us and we'll tell you how to fight back. Remember, don't appeal. We've talked about that before. We'll get your email next. Uh, hang on. You want to send one along? Please do help at inyourcorner.ca. The phone call, one 821 5900 This is In Your Corner on Global News Radio. And back, In Your Corner, you want to uh, send an email along as we get to those now. Help at inyourcorner.ca. The TV show, In Your Corner, happens on Global TV if you've never caught it. That is Sunday mornings at 8.30. And there's always the... Good old phone number, one 821 5900 toll-free. Tom, email up first, says, I've been on LTD for over a year and a half now, and I recently went through a transferable skills analysis, but the three jobs the assessor identified that I could do are very different than the spe- specialized job I used to do before I became disabled. In fact, those other three jobs pay around 30% of what I used to make. Do I have to take those jobs? Shouldn't the insurance company keep paying me until, I, uh, until I'm better and go back? I have three doctors treating me, and all three agree that I can't go back to work right now. Great question, Tom. So 30% weak. Yeah, no, it is. So what we have to discuss first is what's called the change of definition. And what that simply means is you're entitled to your benefits as long as you meet the definition of disabled or totally disabled under the policy. But that definition changes after you've been getting benefits for two years. During the first two years, you get your benefits as long as you can show that you have an injury or impairment that prevents you from returning to your own occupation, what you were doing at the time you went on leave. After two years, it becomes it, the test becomes whether you can return to any occupation you're qualified for by training, education, or experience, which is a tougher test to meet. It, it means that there are far more options that are available that would prevent you from being able to receive the benefits. So it is definitely true that after two years, it is harder to get benefits. And in many cases, an insurance company may well be justified in cutting your benefits off after two years. However, it does not mean that if you can do any occupation that you're qualified for by training, education, or experience, um, that that necessarily will satisfy the law's criteria on that. And what I mean by that is, so let's say, you know, you are a heart surgeon and, you know, you're not able, because of some physical disability, um, you're not able to do your job anymore. And after two years, they say, well, you know what, maybe you can't be a surgeon anymore, but you could go be a barista or a greeter at Walmart or whatever you want to, whatever you want to say. Um, The reality is, even if you may be qualified by training, education, or experience to do those jobs, the law says that in order to for the insurance company to deny your benefits, they have to show not only that you can do another occupation, but that that the occupation they're saying you can do will pay you commensurate income. And commensurate income is typically defined as somewhere around 60-65% of what you had been making before. So 30% is going to be way too little. Occasionally, insurance policies will actually set out 
what that amount has to be, what amount you have to be able to earn to no longer qualify for benefits. Could be 50, 55, 60, 65%, whatever it is. If it's actually in the policy, then that's what applies. But in most cases, the policy is silent. And so if it's silent, you can figure around 60%. Usually a good rule of thumb is essentially, if you're not able to make the money that you're getting through LTD disability benefits, if you can't make at least that amount, you're probably you're probably not right. able to go back to a commensurate earnings job and therefore would still qualify for benefits. So Tom, to answer your question, no, you don't have to go and take a job that pays you 30%. They are absolutely not entitled to cut you off in those circumstances. And we can certainly help you out. And I think, John, one of the things people need to understand is that when the insurance company says you've reached the two-year mark or you're about to reach the two-year mark, uh, your policy will end. They'll, they'll use language like that sometimes. It doesn't end exactly for the reasons that James outlined, but people need to understand that. The fact that the insurance company gives you this, li- you know, this list of jobs doesn't mean outright that by law you have to take one of those jobs. So remember, again, if something doesn't sit right with you because you've now reached the two-year mark or are getting close to it, the insurance company is giving you a date, a hard date for when your payments will end, don't wait for that date to, to come. I mean, they'll, they'll give you a heads up. They're not going to tell you, you know, your benefits ended last week. They're going to tell you they're going to end in a month, two months, three months, and then they're going to send you to that transferable skills analysis assessment. So very important to understand, if you're in that stage, contact us now. Don't wait until after you've been cut off. I, another, I want to talk about this transferable skills analysis. Right. So this is a tool that's used by the insurance companies where they essentially will get your background information, your training, your education, and your experience. And they will try and figure out what occupations you would be qualified for, presuming you have a certain level of functioning. So a lot of times they will say, once you're able to function at a sedentary or a light physical level, whatever it is, these are the occupations that you're going to be able to do. People ignore that often, that qualifying language, but that's really important. You can't do those occupations if you haven't reached that level of functionality. So if you're not able to function even in a sedentary job, because let's say you have um, significant depression or anxiety, and oftentimes people suffering from those illnesses can't, then you're not able to do any of the jobs listed in the transferable skills analysis. The other thing is the jobs that they're listing are really, they're not specific jobs, they're broad occupational categories. And sometimes they make no sense. I have a case right now where my client, uh, who is an administrative assistant and it has a very specific code, it's like 1402, I think. Um, So she went for a transferable skills analysis and they concluded that she can't do the present job she has, but here are three occupations that she can do. And one of them is administrative assistant, nice category 1402. So go figure. Um, a lot of times there's just no internal consistency to it. So if you want to take a look at the original documents whenever you can. One last break and we'll get to some more emails here. It is help at inyourcorner.ca and the number 1-855-821-5900. In Your Corner on Global News Radio. In Your Corner returns to reach out 1-855-821-5900. Help at inyourcorner.ca. If you've not used this as well, a place to ask your questions, get them answered when we're not on the air reading emails as well. My disability questions. We'll get to uh, to Jay. Guys, Jay says, I'm a psychologist and one of my patients told me about your weekly show. I've listened to quite a few of them on your website and I want to say that the information you give is fantastic and very helpful, not only for individuals, but also for treatment providers like myself. I actually have a few questions uh, to you about several issues some of my patients are experiencing with their LTD disability insurers. I find that many of the adjusters my patients deal with are impatient and don't understand the complexity of mental health illnesses. 
I would appreciate speaking with you about some of those issues without getting into specifics and without providing the names of my patients, of course. Uh, would that be possible? Absolutely. And thank yeah. you very much, Jay, for, for uh, emailing us. And, and, you know, John, it's not the first time that I've had uh, treatment providers, uh, psychologists, some family doctors, even some specialists in different specialty uh, areas, uh, orthopedics, etc., actually contact me because they've had a question about one of their patients. And of course, you know, they don't tell me their names and they make sure that confidentiality is maintained. But yes, we can assist you uh, both specifically with respect to a specific case if we have consent from the individual as well as generally. Because this is something that we find a lot. Insurance companies, I would say, clash with a lot of these treatment providers. And these treatment providers get very, very upset that these adjusters are not listening to them. I remember this one case out of Ottawa uh, where I actually had a psychologist. I, I read her report to the adjuster before I became involved. Uh, she, she, she wrote, she wrote a, a three-page letter to the adjuster, essentially starting off the letter by saying, you don't understand my client's illness. I mean, that was the first sentence. And, and there's a lot of frustration because a lot of treatment providers are trying to do what's best for their patients. They're trying to answer the questions that the insurance company is posing to them. Uh, and they're hitting a wall. They're hitting a brick wall. And of course, their patients uh, are caught in the middle. Their patients don't know what to do with these adjusters. They tell the treatment providers, etc. So, Jay, to answer your question, be more than happy to speak with you. And anyone out there, uh, if you're a treatment provider, you have questions about long-term disability uh, and how we can help any of your patients or just generally you want some information about this, we'll be more than happy uh, to speak with you. Absolutely no charge. I have seen that sentiment many times from treatment providers that the adjusters and the insurer just don't understand. I wish that were the case. I don't think that it is. I think much more often than not, the adjusters absolutely understand what's happening and are being willfully blind because they have a job to do and they know that if they can grab any justification at all and if they can you know, pretend to not understand the complexities of a particular issue then that might give them a justification to cut it off now. And most people aren't going to challenge their decision, especially people who are suffering from significant anxiety and depression. Um, Those are people who are vulnerable and often aren't going to be psychologically up for a fight. And they know that. And more often than not, they're not going to challenge it. And so they get taken advantage of, unfortunately. So I wish it were true that they simply didn't understand. And I think a lot of treatment providers will follow up from that perspective, trying to educate the insurer on what the issue is and not understanding why that isn't helpful, why that doesn't move the process along. And the reality is, I think far more often than not, the insurer really does understand. We'll get to Anita's email. I think we've got time for this. It says, uh, last year my husband was in a car crash. His friend was driving and lost control of the car in bad weather. My husband almost died. He lost his left arm and had multiple fractures. He still has trouble walking. He worked as a contractor for a big company and hasn't worked since this accident. He was getting income replacement benefits and then was approved for short-term disability. He was denied LTD recently, and my question is whether he should appeal that decision. James, uh, I don't understand how the LTD insurer doesn't agree that he is disabled given all his injuries and reports from his doctors. It is simply crazy. There will never be an easier case to bring than this one. Right. Uh, this is absurd. You lost his arm. I, there's no question that your husband's disabled. I mean, there's just no question whatsoever in my mind. Uh, I don't even really know how to address this. It's just so painfully obvious. And it really just underscores how brazen the insurance companies can be in certain cases. It's not always this bad. Um, you know, I want to be fair about this. You know, this is definitely an exception. 
Um, typically, when someone is suffering from what is clearly a serious physical or psychological issue, they will at least initially get get approved. This is just shocking. I mean, there's just no other way to put it. Yeah, you, you know, John, uh, something that James and I spoke about just before we, we started the show here is, is about the fact that uh, in quite a few instances, when we get involved and we start a claim, and we've seen this not only in Ontario, but in BC as well, insurance companies will come back once they have a defense lawyer assigned and review the file, and they will offer a reinstatement. They will offer to put the claimant back on claim. In other words, they understand that if we took this to the extreme and went all the way to court, they would be exposed not only to whatever the value of the claim is, retroactively, and then putting the person back on claim so they can get paid monthly, but also to potentially punitive damages. And oftentimes, it takes our involvement in a legal claim and a defense lawyer that is hired for the insurance company to advise the insurance company that they are dead in the water. The problem is, again, that in the vast majority of instances, in my experience, that doesn't happen unless we get involved, unless we start a legal claim and we put their feet to the fire. So again, more of a reason why if you're in that situation, you have questions about your LTD claim, or maybe you know someone who requires this help, get them to get in touch with us, you get in touch with us, go to mydisabilityquestions.com, post your question, Whichever way you prefer, contact us. It costs nothing to talk to us. Good stuff, fellas. We'll uh, we'll leave it at that till our next show. You want to reach out to get a hold of James Savan, the team. It's 1-855-821-5900. Toll free. Email, as you know, help at inyourcorner.ca. And Savan just mentioned it, mydisabilityquestions.com, another resource for you to use. The global TV show happens in your corners Sundays at 8.30 a.m. as well. Till next time, In Your Corner on Global News Radio.